Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And on today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about senior uh, seniors and, and home care with uh, Ed Ucano and John Dunleavy of First Light Home Care. Gentlemen, great to have you on the show. And as always, I start the show by asking uh, my CEOs and their trusted advisors about the trends in their industry that they think are important for other middle market CEOs to know. So I'll toss that over to you. Ed, you want to take that? Sure. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And thanks for inviting us. In our industry, uh, what I would like to talk about is the dynamics that's facing uh, the industry. And the dynamics include quite a few of them. Number one is the longer life expectancy of seniors, people in general. And secondly, the impact of home care or the impact of elder care, rather, on productivity, the impact on the sandwich generation, and of course, the impact on our health care overall general costs. All of that, it's inextricably linked, and uh, it's, it's something that you cannot look at without putting all of that in the same pot. And then when you look at elder care also, you start looking at the different ways that elder care is being provided, whether it's living in a facility or whether you're aging in place at home. All of that plays into the cost factor, whether the elders can afford it, and of course, who qualifies for Medicaid and doesn't qualify for Medicaid. So there's a myriad um, range of issues in, that, that play into this dynamic. So what's the the upshot for a CEO, you know, like yourself? I mean, you've had an IT business um, and now you've kind of gone into a completely different, um, a different, different business. What's the real kind of bottom line impact for somebody who, you know, is employing a large, uh, a large workforce? Well, the bottom line impact is it's simply I, I, I would answer that question in two ways. Number one is uh, the financial which obviously plays into the bottom line. It's no different than any other business. The fundamentals are the same. You have to keep costs low as much as you can, provide quality service, all of that. But with the care business, there's a whole different dynamics that's at play here also, which includes things like, you know, making sure that, not only making sure that your clients are getting the best quality service, but how do you make sure that they can afford the costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, every family we run into, it's it's uh, it's a almost like a case in point for us because their needs are different. Some people can afford home care and don't qualify for Medicaid, and don't even have uh, long term care insurance and any means to pay for it. So you have the whole uh, issue of paying for home care, whether it's through Medicaid private pay, uh, long-term care insurance, and different other miscellaneous uh, payer sources like the Veterans uh, Administration's aid and attendance. Uh, so the ability to to bring all that together to help families, it's really what's going to help uh, the bottom line for mm-hmm. a CEO in this industry. And then for CEOs who are, who are not necessarily in this industry, um, how have you seen these trends impacting their business? It is huge because if you look at uh, one of the studies that was done by MetLife, where they said the impact of uh, elder care 
on productivity is ranging somewhere between 34 billion to 38 billion a year. And the challenge there is that, you know, this is a new concept for a lot of CEOs um, because if they haven't had, well, the, the elder care is not a new concept to them, but the idea of making that part of, you know, what they provide for their employees, is a, it's a relatively new concept. And it's one that must be looked at very seriously at, at the C-level suite because what we're finding with some of the companies that are doing it are companies that who have the, 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 the CEOs have had some kind of experience or personal experience with, with an elder care issue. So they've been able to now bring that back into, into their organizations and, and ask questions. A perfect example is Fannie Mae. They put together a silver care program where they asked a lot of, they did a survey on their employees and asked a lot of uh, employees about the issues they were dealing with with elder care. And they were amazed at how many were involved in taking care of their parents and started measuring the lost productivity in that. And actually out of that, when they offered a program for that, 40% of their employees took advantage of it. That begins to tell you this, how significant this is in different organizations. Mm-hmm. And John, uh, for First Light, do you have any specific examples of where you've seen like the impact on productivity um, you know, for, for businesses of elder care or, or not having an elder care pro- program in place? Well, yeah, thank you very much. And, and I also appreciate being here today uh, uh, with you. Uh, Yes, I see, I see that a lot. And matter of fact, let me just tell you my own personal situation right now that's going on live. And and it's all, it's a living case study. Uh, my mother-in-law is 106 years old. And there was no good plan for her to be 106 years old. There was a great plan for her to be 100. <laughs> and now she's 106. And, and the drain it's putting on me personally, which, of course, I, I understand, and 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 her daughter and her nephews, uh, where uh, nobody knows what's going to happen next, and and nobody knows who's going to provide the care, and nobody knows quite what to do yet. Fortunately, because I've been engaged with this business, I have a lot of resources at my disposal. I can call in and help. I don't know what anybody else would be doing right now, to be honest, because when you're 106 and the only thing wrong with you is you're 106, <laughs> uh, there are no medical. I mean, there's there's nothing out there to come in and take over. But when you're bed bound, it's a very difficult situation for everybody. So that, that affects me personally. But we, And um, we have a situation also we actually have an employee whose mother had a surgery and, and needed somebody to take care of her. And, and so she lost time from work, was always distracted. I see it every single day. Every single day when we meet with the families of looking care for mom, it's they're the ones being stressed out more so than the elder. It's the, it's the child who is leaving work early. Met with a lady the other day over in Gwinnett County, and she's like, I can't even get to the hairdresser because as soon as I come off work, I have to come home. And uh, it was dis- discouraging her. So without that plan, it's it's hurting everybody. It's hurting the businesses is, is a lot, a lot more than we think it is, I believe. So as you, as you think about the implications of these trends for um, companies that have a workforce that may have 
elder care concerns. What are some of your recommendations for how CEOs can think about making sure that they can maintain their their workforce's productivity, even as the, that those workforce have to take care of aging parents? I maintain that the first thing they must do is the recognition that this is an issue, that it's very, very important, because that recognition helps companies to come up with very innovative ways that it's unique to their particular situation. Uh, secondly, it's the idea of uh, any company that's managing their workforce to their own strict s- schedules is going to miss the boat because they have to be flexible in the schedules. If you look at all the companies that have implemented any type of uh, program around this, the very basic and fundamental thing they've done is you know, implement some flexibility in their, in their structure, in their work structure. Then you talk about uh, the EAP programs, employee assistant programs. Historically, that didn't include elder care. Now that's becoming a, a big push to, to factor that into EAC, EAP programs. So those are the recommendations that I'll make. Because, you know, if you think about it, every company has unique, so unique issues. And even though the elder care cuts across all of that, it's, it starts with that recognition at the sea level, as I said earlier. Uh, to be able to now drive that down and implement policies or, or, or standards around that. And let me let me add to that another idea. That when, when I came in here this morning, I saw just an exceptional child care facility downstairs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies, particularly on the West Coast, have thought about elder care facilities for the company where you could bring your parent to work as well. And in a couple of cases out in California and San Francisco area, they've actually combined the two. So the elder people being around the children has improved everybody's quality of life. And so we, ne- we need to start thinking like that, uh, that uh, there's opportunity out there for our elders. So, Ed, you were uh, in a IT, had an IT business before, mm-hmm. um, and this is certainly a very far cry from IT. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you chose to be in this business. Wow. <laughs> I had a, a very traumatic experience uh, by virtue of a divorce, and I took some time off uh, traveled out of the country. Matter of fact, I went to Rome and uh, just to air my head out, as they say. And um, I was in a hotel room one day and started writing a list of everything that I had accomplished in life. And most people who know me know I have a passion for wine. So at the time I owned a technology company, I also owned a wine cafe. And um, I was sitting down at uh, this hotel room, writing down a list of everything I had accomplished, the deals we did with the technology, the great stuff we build for companies, and, uh, and the government, the wine shop, all of that, and a few other personal things that uh, I had accomplished. And then also wrote all the things that I had failed in in life, including my divorce. A, few, a couple of days later, I came back to the room, and I had all the sheets of paper that I had written that I, I didn't even look at. So I started looking at them line item by line item, and something amazing happened to me. I realized very quickly that all the things I thought mattered, the big deals, this, the that, none of that mattered to me. But every line item that still grabbed me that day all had one thing in common. I was making a difference in someone else's life. It was at that point that I realized what my true essence was. And I decided that as soon as I came back, I would divest myself from everything I was doing, and I was going to find that one business that would allow me to make that difference. I came to home care. Mm. And 
So how did you end up choosing elder care? You could have done a lot of things. I could have done a lot of things. And what happened was when I came back, I didn't know what I was going to get into. I started researching everything and every, every industry I could find. Funny enough, I never went to healthcare because I had no experience in healthcare. But, you know, I don't know how you, maybe it's faith. I don't know what you call that. But everywhere I went, I would read article on an article on elder care. I'm like, why am I getting all this, you know, exposure to health, you know, elder care and all that? Then I was on a trip to somebody's wedding, a friend's wedding uh, in Chicago, I believe. And opened up, I was on a Delta flight and opened up the Delta magazine. And there was an article in there about elder abuse. And something struck me that the, the article said that most of elder abuse, or upwards of 60 plus percent, it's, it's perpetrated by family members. And prior to that, I had been reading all this stuff about elder care. Then I imagined my mother, who was still living at the time, what in the world would make me abuse my mother? And that drew me into the industry. And then that made me start researching all about it. That's really how I, I, I got into it. So when I decided I was going to do it, because I didn't have the experience, I bought a franchise because they, they have a proven modern model. And uh, uh, I bought the First Light franchise and went through that route. Mm-hmm. And I've been excited by that decision. I'm living my, my, my dream, as I say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And certainly the demographics are on your side in terms of growth. Oh, without a doubt. Without <laughs> a doubt. Yes. And John, why did you decide to, to join him on, on this, uh, this harebrained journey? <laughs> did, he, did you think he was crazy when he called you and said, I'm selling all of my, my IT business and my, uh, my, my wine cafe? Well, uh, I was disappointed about the wine cafe, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, while, while Ed, no more uh, discounted bottles of wine. Ed's epiphany came in uh, Rome with fine wines. Mine came in Rome, Georgia, with some Bud Light. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I'm actually also a background of IT, and, and we became friends uh, sharing philosophies of life and business. And uh, when he told me what he was doing, I had been, I had actually retired. And now he said, this is where I'm going. And I said, wow. I said, that's a greatly underserved population because at that time I was on a couple of boards of directors for charitable organizations, mostly helping children, under underemployed families, under Section 8 housing, children over in the Gwinnett area around uh, Norcross and Jimmy Carter Boulevard. And but there was nobody helping seniors, so I was trying to do more with seniors. And I am a senior, so I like to play with people my own age. <laughs> and this just seemed like a natural fit, my desire to give back. I've had a good life, and I've had a lot of people help me. And, and, and somehow when you reach a certain point in your life, it's important you give that back and pay it forward, as they say. And it's kind of, pay it forward is kind of a cliche now, but it's more than buying a cup of coffee at Starbucks. It's taking the 50 years of your knowledge and giving it to the next generation. And so that's what I'm trying to do by helping people understand what's going on because this elder care thing is, is very huge in what's going to happen. There's a, there's a great battle going on out there between the smartest people in the world and the financial industry are trying to figure out how to make sure there's products and programs in place so you don't outlive your money. Mm-hmm. You hear that. But there's a great battle on the other side with the healthcare industry, trying to take the brightest people, come up with the best products to figure out 
how do we make sure you outlive your money? <laughs> and, and, and our job is to make sure both things happen. And then we live a long time happily and successfully. Mm. Why is it that you think, John, that the elder care issue has gone largely ignored, especially at the corporate level? Because you hear about child care programs all the time, right? There's so much infrastructure around child care to whatever extent of effectiveness. But Well, A, because most people who work in corporations at the C-level have children that they are cognizant of and they have families and so they're planning their vacation. But the elder people are generally from a generation that took care of themselves. Okay, my parents, I didn't think of, I needed to take care of my parents. I don't think my children think they need to take care of me. However, the fact of the matter is, there's the worrying pressure. And it's, it's, sort, of the, it's sort of the elephant in the, in the room that nobody wants to talk about, you know. And so while there's no direct need to take care of our parents per se, the pressure is always there. So I, I don't think it's the awareness. It was starting to raise the awareness now because of the length of pe- people are living. 20 years ago, when people passed away gracefully in their 80s, it wasn't such a big issue. But today, one out of every 10 people that reach age 65 today are going to live beyond 95. 20% of the people born today are going to live to be 100. That's a problem if we don't understand it and plan for it. Mm-hmm. And that we, we have to plan for the long life as well as the current life. And I think businesses do a real good job planning for right now, keeping people productive right now. Providing a 401k for the future, maybe. But there's no plan for beyond that. And I think that's what's happening. And I think um, if you talk to CEOs, you know what? They're worried about their own parents. Certainly. That's, that was one, one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on the show is I, I know a number of people who, have, who are, you know, really dealing with this issue, you know, yeah. confronting it themselves. So yeah, they, and they have the same issue with, with their own employees once we make that connection. Mm-hmm. John, John is so right on that. And in addition to that also, uh, and this is a really complex issue, in addition to that is the fact that um, if you look at the, the amount, well, the, the number of babies that have been had today, you begin to worry. Being in this industry, I look beyond 10 years, 15, 20 years from now, you begin to worry, where are the caregivers going to come from to take care of this elder population, considering the fact that 10,000 people turn 65 years old every day in America for the next, you know, foreseeable uh, future, where would we find the caregivers to take care of them when we're not replacing them through birth? You know, we're not generating enough people through birth. So you begin to imagine how, and I don't want to get political here because I'm not a political person, but this cuts into issues with immigration, there has to be planned. There has to be planning for that. Pe- there has to be people who will take care of those elders because we're going to hit a point where there's not going to be anybody to take care of them. We're not going to manufacture robots to do that. It has to be human beings. So where are we going to find them? And that's that's going to be a huge issue, not just for the industry and businesses, but also for the government. As you think about that, like, do you have a sense of when the when the, when the wave is going to hit? Like, are you when you're looking at demo, uh, demographic studies and things like that? When is it? Do you think it's going to become a particularly critical issue? 
I think we are almost already there because even at even as a, a, a home care agency, one of the biggest you ask any home care agency CEO or owner, they'll tell you one of the biggest challenges is finding great quality caregivers. And so if we're in that stage now where we're struggling to find great quality caregivers, then imagine what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. Uh, so I think that's an issue. I'm not a statistician, but I recently attended a, uh, a conference uh, sponsored by uh, Sandy Springs uh, Chamber of Commerce, where uh, Dr. Johnson from uh, UNC came and laid out some of the demographic uh, um, trends and impact on, you know, that's happening. And one of the things that, that struck me was the number, he said, I, I have to quote him correctly, he says that we need about two point something births for every senior. Well, the United States is at 1.8 or 1.9, somewhere around that. So we're not even at that mark. So that already tells you, and if you're very good at math, you can extrapolate from that and calculate when we'll hit that uh, chasm or whatever, you know, yeah. way. So, uh, I, but it's coming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So where do you fit in the, in the spectrum? So how does your solution actually impact this problem? And I think in particular of the statement you made about um, the, that 60% of elder abuse actually happens from family members, which is shocking. Um, like, how do you address that problem? One of the things I noticed uh, uh, when I started this business was, you know, I remember the very first client we had, and she it was a daughter and a mother relationship, and they were going at each other every day. And the moment she hired us to t- take care of her mother, their relationship changed completely. It took a 360-degree turn for the better. They became friends. They were easy, and it's very it's very easy to understand what's going on there, because that daughter was the primary caregiver. The stress and the toll on her exerts a level of frustration that you and I cannot imagine unless you're in that situation. So, with that level of frustration, there's bound to be major conflict. There's bound to be an interaction that's not healthy. So, introducing a third party a caregiver who's coming in to do that, now restored the relationship a mother and a daughter should have. That kind of gives you the idea of, of what we... And then imagine if she was now an uh, employee of a company. Do you think she would be a better employee? Because now she does. she's not dealing with that stress and frustration anymore. So you can begin to, you know, extract from that and, and posit, you know, exactly what's, what would happen. Mm-hmm. And and the impact home care has on on this issue. What are some of the um, kind of best in breed uh, elder care programs that you've seen uh, at corporations? What what do good programs look like? You mentioned that they need to have um, yeah. time flexibility. Certainly, Fannie Mae is a perfect example. Fannie Mae has done some really really wonderful things. They have brought in uh, geriatric counseling in as, as part of their their offering to the employees. They engage home care agencies. They have all kinds of innovative things they're doing around elder care. Another company is Pfizer. And Pfizer is funny because they were trying to actually develop some kind of drug for Alzheimer's. In the course of doing that, they realized that, whoa, we must have this problem here in our company. 
and they surveyed their employees and found that they had a good percentage of them were dealing with this issue we're talking about. And they implemented a program around it. So it goes back to what I said earlier again. The C-level suite has to, first of all, recognize that this is an issue. It's an issue that's impacting productivity. It's an issue that's impacting the employees. It's an issue that's even impacting the bottom line. And until it, until they start seeing that, then you will you will begin to see different ideas, very creative ideas pop up on how to deal with this problem. Mm. So I always, in the second segment, talk a little bit about how my guests work together. And uh, John, you said that uh, you and Ed have been friends for a long time. But tell me a little bit about what it's like to you know, work together in this business. And Ed, why did you, why did you choose John to come, come with you today? Yeah. Ed, you want to take that? I'll take that. This is an incredible, uh, re- valuable relationship, having John on board with us. Because John's someone who, I'm the CEO of the company, but John's not afraid to tell me hey, this, this is a wrong move, or this is boneheaded, or this is, uh, it, we, we go at it. because, And that's what makes us a very, very awesome company, just simply because of that. Uh, and one of the challenges a CEO of a small business has, we don't realize it's a challenge because it's the same reason why we started a business in the first place, <laughs> is we don't want to be accountable to anybody. Yes, that's the reason why we started a business. Control freaks. Con- we're control freaks. But that also could be our chillest heel. So it's important for every small business owner to have a John. John is someone who he doesn't need the job. He's like he told you, he's retired. And I, 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 I dragged it. Well, I didn't drag him in. He also came in on his own volition because he wanted to, to contribute. But the, the dynamics between us is so awesome because, you know, he, he necessarily doesn't report to me, even though he works <laughs> for the company. So he gets to say what he wants to say. And, and I, at the end of it all, I think we come up with uh, an, a great value for First Light Home Care. John, well, you want to comment on the control freak piece? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> look, I, it's, real, it's real simple here. Anybody who owns a business, whether it be a home care business or, or anything, uh, nothing Nobody cares more about that business than they do. Nobody cares more about your business than you do. Uh, you cannot hire that person. You cannot marry that person. You cannot. Uh, you can't do anything. Nobody has that same passion you do. So by nature, they have to be control freaks because it's their passion, their vision, and I and I have no problem with that. I, I think what's important though is that they be willing to listen to somebody. And everybody who starts a business has to have somebody who will challenge them, even for the sake of challenging them, I think. Businesses are pretty pretty straightforward as far as be honest, be legal, be ethical, and everything will fall in line like it should be. You know, we have a we have a very simple philosophy that I garnered from my 25 years in the at Digital Equipment Corporation, the now defunct Digital Equipment Corporation. They had this big long list of company guidelines, and at the end it said, but in any situation, do what's right. And that company became a huge, multi-billion-dollar international corporation, one of the finest companies in the world. And because it was that do what's right philosophy, and I have numerous stories from those days when we did the right thing at a huge costs. But and we've always had that same philosophy at First Light Home Care. At the end of the day, let's do what's right, and always back the employee. We always tell the employee, make the decision. But if it's the right decision, if it costs us money, it costs us money. 
But at the end of the day, it will all come back to us. I, w- I will tell you one quick story that uh, I think illustrates that. I was at a concert one night a couple of years ago on a Friday night, and my phone rang, and a lady said, can you please help me? And I said, yes, ma'am, and I did not. And she said, I got your number um, from actually one of our business partners. And she said, my mother's dying. I'm in Pennsylvania. I can't get there till Monday. Can you help me? And I said, okay. I said, let me have somebody call you. I called our dispatchers, and I said, this lady needs help. And uh, Ed got involved. Uh, the lady was in Hampton, Georgia, and now uh, we live up on this side of town. That was at 8 o'clock on a Friday night. For listeners, how far away is that? That is a good hour and a half by, by car from where we are. Mm-hmm. Ed got involved, found a caregiver in the area, sent them to the home with there by 11 o'clock. And I'll let him fill in the rest of the story of how the person got there. But the fact of the matter is we never said, oh, we need a contract. We need a credit card to pay. Uh, here's our price. The lady said, can you help me? Oh, it's Friday night, you it's know, Friday night, <laughs> we don't, Friday night 11. You right. Know? I took the call in, a con- in the front row of a concert and was stepped out to take the call. And, and this isn't about me. This is about doing the right thing. And, and we responded, and, and, and somebody was there, took care of the parents' mother through the weekend, and she passed away on Monday, and everything went. Now, that story gets a little better when I tell you how he engaged. Go ahead, Ed. Tell him what well, happened. as John said, the uh, caregiver coordinator found uh, the caregiver close to them, and uh, this was somewhere around 10 o'clock at night, and dispatched the caregiver to him. The caregiver got in her car to start her car, and her car wouldn't start. So she called the caregiver coordinator who pitched me in on it and because I was involved. And I said, you know what? And this is an hour and a half away from my home at 1030 at night. I said, you know what? I'm going to, I drove all the way down to the caregiver's home, picked her up, drove her to the client and got her set up. Family was very, very grateful for that. Next time use Uber. <laughs> in, in Griffin, Georgia. In Griffin, Georgia. I don't. In, 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 uh, How about Uber? In, uh, in that area, I don't think Uber would have worked because that did cross my mind. Believe me. <laughs> now, see, so you, you you went down there and you drove all the way to Griffin. I drove all the way to Griffin, picked up the caregiver, and took her to the home. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, made sure she. And that's when we now arranged transportation to bring her back. And so we stayed with that family until the lady passed. And so when did the daughter, just to finish the story, when did the daughter actually get there? I, I believe she got there on Sunday on or Monday. Sunday. Uh, she was concerned that her brother was there and her brother couldn't deal with a, with a person in the hospice mm-hmm. situation in the home. And she was just, she was just really just beside herself. Got it. And so she got there as quickly as she could. And uh, I, I think what illustrates there is when the phone rings, we answer it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always had this policy that says we doze but never close. Uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, you can call us, and this isn't intended to be a sales pitch, but it's an important part of doing business. When the phone rings, answer it, please. Don't send me to seven different levels of voicemail prompt and tell me my call is important. Because if it was important, you'd answer it. Okay, and, and that's what we do. We do our phones go live and that's part of caring for a community of elders who want someone to answer the phone. I am a senior. I want somebody to answer the phone. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, as you talk about the company's values and and the things that are important to you, what are some other aspects of your culture that you think, company culture, that you think are really um, kind of differentiate you or, or make you make um, make you your company what it is? I think the fact that we would define our why and every employee who comes there gets to understand what that why is. Why are we doing what we do? Why are we even in business? Why did I start this company? Why did I buy this franchise? All that's wrapped up in our why. And everybody who comes in gets to hear it. But more importantly, our our interview process is structured around understanding whether that person will fit into that culture. Uh, And so that's basically what drives us. We we are on a mission. And uh, that mission has to be embedded in, in a very strong culture. So we have that culture, that's the basis of it, our why. The second part of it is I, I come from an environment, my entire life experience has been one of continuous improvement. We tinker with everything in that company. And I, I always say to anybody I hire, I said, if you don't like change, this is the wrong place for you. Because we will tinker with everything, including the things that I work in. Because for me, this is an exciting experience. So I, I, we, we want to lead this industry, and we're trying things that are not even, and I'm not at liberty to disclose them here, but are not even being practiced by the industry. But these ideas John and I have brought in from different other experiences that we've had that we think it's going to work here. So we're tinkering with them. We're trying them. And that's the kind of uh, uh, culture we have, one of excitement, one of dynamism, because there's always new and exciting things. And sometimes when I... I come to our meetings, my staff is wondering who knows what new we're going to be dealing with today or, or that's going to be thrown at us. That's our environment. How do you keep your employees from dealing with the same frustration that you're, frustrations that you're trying to relieve in, in your homes? Simple. We're, we're very conscious of it. And so we, our structure, our schedule, it's very, very flexible. There has not been one day that an employee says, I have to go take care of my son on my mom, on my daughter, that they question. They're still paid for the time. But uh, it's all based on, you know, it's all based on honesty. And then we hire very, well, our, our staff is awesome. We hire the best people. Everybody knows they can trust each other. So when, when a staff says, I, I, I need two days off to take care of a, a loved one, they, they, they get it. Hmm. Getting the right person, uh, as Ed mentioned, is so key in the, that interviewing process. Um, because this is being a caregiver in this industry is a mission as much as anything else. It's a calling. It really is. And I don't want to get too uh, off the board on that. But but these people have a passion. And not everybody who is a, a certified caregiver is a good caregiver. But when you get that person that has that passion and that drive, and that training, that's the key to the whole thing, the training. The skills it requires to be a caregiver are, are, are learned. They're learned as well as, as you're born with them. And so we put a lot of energy into training and training programs on caring for dementia, caring for Alzheimer's, personal care. It, it's more than sitting there cooking dinner and making sure the person uh, you know, gets, gets properly dressed. You, you have to be trained and skilled. Uh, and and that comes from from um, having the people who really want to be caregivers, and they're out there. But the interview process is difficult. We if if we get a hundred resumes today, we'll probably hire five of them. 
because we're after the top 5%. That's how you manage that process. And I look at my own situation now with uh, my wife's mother. It's tremendous strain, and I can see where where the friction comes because <laughs> the mother's saying, I want this, I want that, and it would be very demanding. And uh, But the caregivers step in because there are caregivers there now to take care of it. And, and they step in and go, okay, I got, I got this one. They don't get the front. They don't get frustrated. They don't take it personal when they get ordered around by their mother. You know, it's the, <laughs> and the, and the mother in turn, she listens to the caregivers. You know, there's a thing called the powder your butt syndrome. If somebody ever powder, if I ever powdered your butt, I'm going to take advice from you, you know, well, <laughs> but they'll listen intently to the caregiver and their daughter who comes in and gives her the same advice. What do you know? You know, that type of thing. So it relieves a lot of that stress. Great. So, uh, you know, as you obviously play off each other, can you give us an example, you know, for the CEO listeners of a, of a specific instance where um, you gave uh, Ed some really good advice and he took it? <laughs> well, let me think about that. <laughs> and, and mostly... Uh, Especially if he was resistant. That's a good one. <laughs> well, um, well, a lot of the advice is around... We collaborate a lot, particularly on the the senior level hiring of the management teams and the administrative support. The caregivers we leave to the to the operations director, and we kind of support her energies in that. Um, the times we get to collaborate and disagree is more on strategies. I'll, I'll call it. You know, should we? Which is my favorite word. <laughs> you know, take a strategic position. You know, should we do television advertising? As an example. Uh, or should we expand our internet presence? Well, that's a big discussion, okay? And I have theories that say, you know, TV is your cheapest form of advertising. And yet, you know, Ed might say, wow, that's a lot of money for advertising. Yeah, but the impressions it makes. You know, you're hitting more people, so the cost per impression. So you get into those types of discussions and stuff like that. So, but at the end of the day, we pretty much come to agreement. And I try to go and take a, a wider view, even if it's ridiculous, because I think that's how you get to the best place. Mm-hmm. You you think outside the box, as they say, or lateral thinking, as they say, and, and that's what we try to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had discussions about should we expand into the marketplace? I'm sort of an expansionist. Uh, Ed is sort of a let's figure what we do and do it really well now before we figure out how to go to the next level. And so those types of discussions. So we stay on the on point pretty much, though. Mm-hmm. And so since you mentioned strategy, tell us a little bit about your strategic planning process. That's something that's of material interest to me. Uh, that that process involves a lot of John's time. That's that's really where we we banter quite a bit. Um, our strategy and strategic plan it's based on what started this whole thing for me. How do we improve the quality of care? How do we make sure that, you know, no, it's almost like no elders left behind. Uh, one of the things, John, in the last session, one of the things that I, I had wanted to bring up is the fact that we're a company that, you know, don't turn anyone away. And now I have to explain that. Basically, when our phone rings, not everybody that calls us is, is a good fit for us because we're a private pay company for starters. But we have a policy in the office that nobody who calls here leaves that call without help. 
we will find you the right resource. Even if we're not the company to help you, we will guide that person to find them the right home. And so that's a big pulse for us. Now, having said that, let me move back to the strategy question. I think our strategy more these days is based more on how do we how do we do things that benefit the entire industry, not just first light home care. I'll give you a perfect example. The more we waded into this business, the more we realize how unaware people are. So John actually took this on and, and started an education and speaker uh, series where uh, we've developed quite a lot of uh, non-selling, this is not a first light thing, but a lot of uh, topics that were now being offered on the speaking circuit to churches, to different organizations that deal with the elders and all of that. So that's, that's already also going, going on right now. Secondly, we have uh, a subscription to one of the largest libraries of elder care t uh, subjects in, in the world. And it's a subscription we pay for. It costs us money. We're now expanding and opening that up, another strategic move by us, to different nonprofit organizations. Uh, a perfect one we're working with now, I'm not sure I'm at liberty to mention their name, but one of the things we're doing with them is we realize that, yes, even though we provide caregivers, the caregivers are not always there 24-7 because not everybody can afford that. But what happens when we leave? That daughter or son who's going to take care of that elder needs to have the skills to take care of that person. How do you take care of someone who's suffering from Alzheimer's if you don't have the skills? So what we are now doing with them is to expose them free of charge to that library, of course, we have, so that any family that they engage as a nonprofit organization, that family member gets to be able to log into our portal, our subscription, and be able to take whatever training that's attributable to their, their loved one, whether it's a dementia, Parkinson's, or what have you. So that's a huge piece of what we're doing. So our strategy these days is no longer, all right, what's in it for first light home care only? What's our bottom line? Yes, we're, we're very concerned about that as a company. No question about it. But those are obvious fundamentals that we already have in place. But we're looking at different ways to spread that education because I think we, it's, 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 a, it's a part that's lacking, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And, and where, are you, where are you physically located right now? Right now, mm -hmm. we have our offices in Conyers. You need the address? No, no, no. no. Okay, Conyers. You can leave that at the end. Okay. But... We have offices in Conyers and an office here in Sandy Springs. Okay, great. Yes. And about how many people do you serve? Just so that listeners have a sense of the scope. Uh, right now, our company serves somewhere around uh, maybe varies from 60 to 80 clients. Mm -hmm. Great. So as you think about your strategy and, and moving forward, what do you have on the horizon for, for First Light? What are you looking forward to? John, you want to take that? Well, I'm, uh, I think the big, uh, the big important thing for us to do is education and get out there with, we have all this knowledge. We have five years, we have a, we have a PhD in, in what not to do. Uh, and we're going to take that knowledge and the, and the connections. I think Ed alluded to the, we've, we've identified, I've gone off and found half a dozen of the brightest people in Atlanta by far that understand hospice care, understand wills, trusts, and probate, understand Medicare, because not all Medicare is created equal, uh, the difference between the supplement and an advantage or whatever. So, 
And we're taking those people and our own knowledge and bringing it out to educate without a brand on it, without a sales pitch on it. Say, we're going to help you understand if you're going to really, uh, I have a presentation we've been doing, it's called Living to be 100. And uh, everybody says, Living to be 100. Well, if you, you, probably, you may live to be 100. You better have a plan and you better understand your health care. You better understand your finances. You better understand the wills, trusts, and probate. You better understand all your options now. Don't wait until you're being discharged from the hospital. And the nurse says, We're sending in home health care to say, What does that mean? It's time to find out what that means is now. And so, education is where I'm personally. Very engaged in driving this afternoon. I have another meeting at 2 o'clock with somebody around that very issue to put together another module to bring out to the senior communities, to bring out to the churches, to bring out to the world. Uh, whoever wants to get educated in this, in this marketplace, it's not a first light offering as much as it's an, just a com- community offering. I think that's vitally important to this industry. There's so much that's not known. Hmm. So if Listeners want to get in touch with you to hear anything other than you know what they've heard, or tap into some of your to tap into your um, your library or your education portal. How can they do that? They can reach us by phone, email, simply go to our website. All right, what is that? Our phone number is seven seven zero six zero two zero five zero zero. And the website? www.firstlighthomecare.com. Thank you very much. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.